You're listening to Featured First, and this is Bristol Icons. Yes, this is Bristol Icons. Uh, we have been joined in the studio uh, by Mike, who's come in from the uh, Bristol, uh, the Clifton, I should say, Suspension Bridge Trust. Uh, welcome to the studio, Mike. Yes, hi. Um, sorry about that. Uh, completely <laughs> tongue-tied there. Um, so, you're from the Suspension Bridge Trust that helps um, to, that actually runs the bridge, aren't you? How did you get involved in that? What, what, what did you do beforehand? And how did you do Yes, the, the Clifton Suspension Bridge Trust exists to operate and manage the bridge and maintain it uh, for future generations as well as the present one. Uh, I'm a retired police inspector, retired some seven years ago, but for the last six years, uh, because at the end of my police service, I trained as a registered tourist guide. So I'm up at the bridge, I manage the little visitor centre that we've got up there, the 25 or so volunteers, and we always need volunteers, uh, who help me run the place, and we are open from 10 until 5, seven days a week, uh, able to show people about the history, the construction, and the maintenance of the bridge, and share its heritage with everyone. We also do guided tours um, of the bridge for schools and other groups, um, and we run a a programme of free tours on Sundays through the summer months. Okay. And uh, you personally, you're sort of in charge of the whole touristy side of it, aren't you? Yes, I have no role with the operation or maintenance of the bridge. That's down to the bridge master. Uh, but yes, I look after everything to do with history, heritage, uh, the talks, the visitors. We've had at least 87 nationalities uh, that we're aware of in the last 18 months uh, going by our guidebook, our guestbook, rather. Right. And that, that's obviously quite a, a complex job, you're having to organise lots of people there. How, how did you actually get involved in, in, in um, being the head of that department there at the bridge? I mean, it's, it's not something that you'd imagine would come up in local papers or anything, but uh, maybe well, it did. It was advertised in the local paper. Uh, it's a, it is a strange job, it requires a strange blend of skills and experience. Uh, uh, there's the management side, because I have to report to the trustees. Uh, I have to manage the uh, the volunteers and the three casual staff that I have at weekends, uh, all the administration, the finance of the place, purchasing the gift and souvenir stock, uh, and of course liaising with schools and uh, uh, tour directors and group leaders for all the guided tours that we do. So you're quite right, it's a, a strange mix of blend, uh, a blend of uh, experience and skills. Mm. But you, d- you just came up with the job after seeing it in the newspaper? Well, that's right. Well, I was looking for a job anyway, post uh, my police service. Um, at the time, I had two uh, youngsters who were about to go to university. Uh, one's been through and one's still there. So I needed something to supplement my uh, police pension. Um, but I also wanted to do something that was, uh, would meet lots of people and would be interesting for me. Uh, right. And I'm, Although there's some evening work and some weekend work, uh, I quite enjoy the flexibility of it. Okay. Right, now um, moving on from yourself to the, the bridge itself, uh, which of course is what this is all about. Um, the bridge has a, a very complex history, I suppose you might Absolutely. say. Um, could you just take me through a sort of a whirlwind tour of the history of the bridge and particularly why anyone would choose to put a bridge there? Well, it's there quite simply because of a will, a legacy. Uh, you have to go back to the year 1753 when one of the merchant venturers uh, left a thousand pounds in his will with instructions that it should be invested after his death and when it grew to be ten thousand pounds there was to be a competition to design a stone bridge which was toll free 
which is fascinating because it's an iron bridge and we charge tolls. Well, the money's invested by uh, 1830, they have sufficient funds, they invite a competition, but the grand old man of civil engineering of the day, Thomas Telford, didn't like any, any of the designs that were submitted, so he dismissed them all um, and submitted his own, <laughs> and effectively awarded himself first prize in the competition that he was judging. So they let him down gently and said they couldn't afford it, and the following year they held the competition again, which eventually young Brunel was declared the winner. So they started um, uh, construction in 1831, but very little happened because of uh, the Bristol riots of 1831, dead in Queen Square and elsewhere. Business confidence dropped away. Uh, nobody was prepared to invest any money uh, for a bridge that they still couldn't see the sense of because there was nothing in Clifton. Um, in 1754, all of Zion Hill, Gloucester Road, that end of Clifton was still fields. Mm. There was nothing on the Leewood side and there was no commercial reason to cross. By 1830, you've got all the Georgian terraces that are in, uh, and Victorian terraces that are in uh, Clifton. Anyway, they, um, the second competition, Brunel was eventually declared the winner, so they started. Uh, nothing much happened after the riots. They started again in 1836, but the whole project was dogged by political and financial difficulty. Um, and so by 1843, with just the two towers up, that's all. We call them piers, by the way, hmm. just the two piers. Um, work was abandoned, the chains were sold off, but they're still used, you can see them on the Royal Albert Bridge at Saltash, going from Devon into Cornwall, the railway bridge. Mm -hmm. um, Brunel, of course, didn't hang about. He went on to do all these other things in his lifetime, yeah. uh, the Great Western Railway, the SS Great Britain, etc, etc. But at 40, four hours sleep a night and 40 cigars a day took their toll. Mm. So at the age of only 53, he died, and the Institution of Civil Engineers resolved to complete the bridge as his monument. Mm. So it was finished on time and on budget between 1862 and 1864. So uh, it was opened on the 8th of December 1864, mm. in the day of the horse and cart. Today it's taking around about 11,000 vehicles across, mm. countless pedestrians and cyclists. Yeah. So that's what, about 35 years since work started to actually being ready for use? That's right, but um, there was about 19, 20 years when nothing was happening at all. Mm. Uh, it was just a folly, in fact there were calls for the piers to be demolished. One amusing little story is that there was an iron bar across from Clifton to Lee Woods with a tremendous sag on it, with a pulley and a basket underneath, a little bit like a hot air balloon basket. And somebody had the, originally of course, for men and materials to cross. But somebody had the bright idea of uh, having a franchise as a kind of a fairground ride. And they charged five shillings a head, which in today's money is 25 pence. Mm. And it was so popular, they dropped the price to two and six, or twelve and a half pence. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lovely story of a honeymoon couple from Feyland, village on the other side. Um, the pulley snagged and they were stuck for four hours. And although the bridge records and archives are kept in the university's special collections archive, the Brunel collection, the archivist can find nowhere any reference as to how that young couple passed the four hours before they were rescued. <laughs> Hmm, one can only imagine. Um, going back to the actual design contest, um, I mean, it, when it had to be rerun because Thomas Telford was basically trying to grab it for himself, um, or at least that's the impression one gets, was it not a bit of a, a risk awarding the prize of actually having the thing built to Brunel at that stage? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe his experience then was very limited and as far as bridges was concerned wasn't it about zero? 
Oh, absolutely. Um, his father, Mark Isambard Brunel, the French Mark with a C, was also a great uh, engineer and personality. And there's an argument for saying that as great a, an engineer and personality as the son, if not greater. Um, he was building the Thames Tunnel at Rotherhithe. It's still used today as a London Underground Railway Tunnel. Mm. And by the age of 23, young Isambard uh, was helping his father on it. But the tunnel kept collapsing, and Isambard was lucky to escape with his life on one occasion, mm. and was sent here to Clifton to recuperate. Uh, although there is a great deal of evidence to suggest that uh, his father had heard about the competition and specifically sent him here. And there's no doubt at all that his father uh, helped in the design. Mm -hmm. And his father was definitely present at the laying of the foundation stone under the Lee Woods abutment in 1836. Right. So, um, yes, he was limited. And that second competition, uh, this is where the, the, the personality comes through. He is only 23, but he gets the two judges together at Blaze House and persuades them that his design would work. And so they withdrew the nomination of the original winner of the second competition uh, and gave it, uh, reversed the decision uh, and gave it to Brunel. So in a way, Brunel won neither competition. And remember later on, with the Great Western Railway, he appeared before a parliamentary subcommittee for 11 days and answered every single question about the entire route of the Great Western Railway. Hmm. So he was a great lobbyist. Hmm. Uh, so, yes. so he actually ended up, it wasn't actually the original winner of the competition that he entered either. No. Uh, that I didn't know. No. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, in your opinion, then, if, if, if he hadn't been such a great campaigner, just as far as the bridge was concerned, do you think that Brunel would ever have become as widely known and successful as he did? I mean, it, it, obviously, everyone needs something to kickstart their career. Well, yes, you're right. The bridge was his first uh, major project um, and commission, and it did kickstart his career. But I think it happened to be the bridge. It could easily have been something else. I mean, if you just take bridges, the range of uh, engineering with bridges, the Maidenhead Bridge, the widest brick-built spance at all, anywhere at its mm. time, uh, which was brick. This one is um, iron and a suspension bridge. Then you go to the maritime engineering. He goes from a wooden paddle steamer to the SS Great Britain, which mm. is totally iron, yeah. on to the Great Eastern. And by the way, if you want to get some idea of scale, the SS Great Britain, uh, you can roughly get roughly two end-to-end -end between the piers of the bridge, but you could only get one SS Great Eastern, mm. which goes to show how big the SS Great Eastern was. Yes. So that range of engineering, and within five months, at the request of Florence Nightingale, he designed, had constructed, and exported to the Crimea a prefabricated hospital. <laughs> Which people just, uh, just again, it's a lot, what a lot of people don't realise. Mm. It's the range of his engineering. And what year was that? Um, that was in the eight. Well, the Crimean War was the eighteen fifties. Well, there are some historians listening here. Oh dear. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, certainly the, at the time of the Crimean War, because Florence Nightingale recognised that we were losing more soldiers through infection because of the insanitary conditions in which they were being kept. Mm. That were being actually shot. Mm. So Brunel devised this hospital with revolutionary facilities such as lavatories and washrooms at the ends mm. instead of this stinking horrible pit that was in the middle that was the source of the infection yeah and all that in a prefabricated building which everyone associates with the 1940s 50s even much yes that's right yeah. 
uh, all sorts of things that, um, uh, I mean, his standard gauge for the railway, um, well, we now know it's broad gauge, but it was actually much safer, much more efficient, and much more comfortable than the gauge they eventually settled for, which is what we now know as standard gauge, mm. which was the Stevenson's. And that's all to do with how far apart the individual right. rails are. Yes, it was uh, seven foot something, rather, as opposed to four foot something. Mm. Um, but um, uh, yes, it's much more efficient, but because it was eventually outvoted in terms of mileage, mm. uh, it was eventually replaced. Right. Okay. Now, moving slightly on from the historical aspect, in fact, moving completely on, um, up to the present day, you said earlier that um, the bridge was designed for horse and cart, and now it's, well, the traffic jams speak for themselves, don't they? How, how do you manage the running of the bridge under modern traffic conditions and with modern demands on it? Well, first of all, there's a four-ton weight limit. Four tonnes gross or two-and-a-half-ton axle weight which actually doesn't mean too much to me, but if I said to you, no lorries, no coaches, and no fire engines, they're all too heavy. And there's a way bridge on the approach to the bridge, you can see it in the road, and every vehicle that goes across the bridge is weighed. Um, but modern technology doesn't always help, because um, lorry drivers and many coach drivers have got sat-navs, and all they want to do is either get to junction 19 at the M5 or go to Portbury, and they don't look at the road signs. So if they go over the, uh, the way bridge and it's too heavy, an alarm bell rings and the barrier is locked down. Of course, there's no turning space. So we have to stop the traffic, get the vehicle on the offside, and then reverse it away from the bridge. Um, of course, when the bridge was um, first conceived, it was, um, in fact, up until the 1920s, as a commercial venture, the bridge was a disaster. Uh, but then the arrival of the motor car, and then eventually the development of... Uh, the North Somerset hinterland, Portishead, Nailsey, Clevedon, and of course Western Supermare, mm. is now an essential part of the infrastructure, the traffic infrastructure of the city. So, um, yes, there are traffic jams, but at the moment we get 17 vehicles a, a minute through, mm. um, which is actually an improvement from um, before when the tolls went up, uh, when there were 13 vehicles a minute, because um, there's only one coin, so they drop through quicker. But if, you're, um, if you live locally, you can buy a smart card, a discount card, and they, um, they're much more efficient and work much better. Mm -hmm. By the way, the bridge, um, uh, although it was originally a, uh, intended by William Vicks his in his legacy for it to be toll-free, they changed the will by Act of Parliament uh, very early on because they realised that there would never be any public funding for it. And today it receives not one penny of public funding from any source. Mm. Not from the Department of Transport, Nothing from the government, nothing from either local authority. Remember, we must deal with two, because there's Bristol on one side and North Somerset on the other. Mm. And nothing from grants, such as from the National Lottery. Uh, and it's an expensive bridge to look after, because it was built um, to what is now an obsolete design, using what are now obsolete materials. Mm. Yes, and um, receive absolutely no outside funding to keep no. it going. Our only source of income are the tolls. Um, but it's run by, since 1952, it's been run by a registered charity, which is non-profit making. Hmm. Right. And um, do, do you ever make anything above what's needed to keep the bridge going? No. Um, that's why the tolls went up last January. And it took us two years to get there because um, there were some objections to uh, the tolls rising from 30 pence to 50 pence. So uh, we had to go through the process of a public inquiry, hmm. um, which, of course, the Trust had to pay for. Uh, but eventually we were successful, the case was accepted, 
um, and we're able to charge 50 pence. But we don't want them to go up again quickly. Hmm. Well, the trust doesn't want them to go up again quickly, so that's why they went to 50 pence. Yeah. But um, the money is needed to look after the bridge. Um, as I say, nobody's making any money out of it. It's not been salted away anywhere. Hmm. Um, we need to use uh, specialist contractors with specialist skills and equipment. Um, there's lots of work needed doing in the abutment underneath the Leewoods Tower and on the ironwork and on the deck. Um, and quite simply, it is expensive to look after. And with a lot of use. Hmm. 11,000 vehicles a day. And of course it moves. Yes. Uh, I would show you it moving now. <laughs> yes, I, I can see it moving very clearly. Um, Showing the listeners can't. <laughs> no. So, um, just one final question. If you, if the bridge trust ever was to have anything in excess of what you needed to just keep it running, where would where would that money be put in an ideal world? Um, I can't. I, I think it's um, it's a hypothetical question to which there's no answer because. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, I'm not a trustee, but um, I don't think the trustees work to that. They always plan. Uh, they ha do have um, uh, a reserve fund, but um, uh, it would cost at least uh, £45 million, I think, to replace, if it were replaceable. So if, for instance, there was a, a geological shift in the Avon Gorge, or there was some other um, disaster that we can't foresee, the first thing you have to do is you have to shut the bridge. Mm. From that moment on, there is no income. Mm. Um, and uh, the money that the trust has isn't going to go very far. But what they do is they do have a small reserve fund to, to cater for the foreseeable eventualities. Um, but that has been affected in the last uh, five years, since 9-11, um, all investments have dropped. Hmm. And the same goes for the trust investments, because the, the money they have isn't kept in the post office, it's invested wisely, and they try to, to supplement the tolls, and that's why the tolls were relatively low for a long period. Right. But it's a lovely old bridge and I enjoy working there very much. Okay. Well, it's um, been very good to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming in and telling us all about it. You're uh, welcome. Uh, we see university students coming up after their graduation, all with their photographs with a bridge in the background. <laughs> and then they go for lunch with mum and dad at the Avon Gorge Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much and um, yes, I wish you all success in um, your guiding, you're um, showing people around the bridge and um, managing all those people who help look after it. That's right, thanks for inviting me. Good luck with that, thank you very much. On 11.34 medium wave and online at burstradio.org.uk this is Featured First from Burst Radio. <laughs>